Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Chasing Legends Outdoors Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Crawford, and we got another doozy of an episode tonight. But before we get into that, let me put this in your brain. We're only a week away from flipping our calendars to August. August, which means here in the mitten, we're only two short months away from chasing tail in the whitetail woods. If that doesn't get your blood boiling, I don't know what will. Um, usually, by this time of year, as you as you get into August, you're either in two different spots. You're either in a very positive mindset with maybe you got all your stands hung or got a, a few trees picked out that you want to hunt. Maybe you've gotten an inventory of the majority of the mature bucks in your area. And or maybe you acquired a piece of land or found a new piece of public that you're really excited about and you're feeling very prepared for the upcoming season. Or you're in the other guy's shoes who's feeling that summer flew by, you're feeling completely unprepared, you maybe don't even have trail cameras out yet, maybe you haven't done any work at any of your properties or done any scouting whatsoever. Now let me say this, if you haven't done any e-scouting in the past four months, um, you're going to be way behind because with this whole COVID thing, a lot of guys and gals were cooped up in their homes. And I don't know about you, but I feel like a lot of people were doing a lot of e-scouting this year in preparation for this fall. So hopefully you're in guy A's shoes where you're feeling very prepared. If you're not, it's not too late. You can still do what you can to prepare yourself for this upcoming fall. But either way, it's an exciting time because hunting season is only a couple months away. For some guys out west, it's only a few weeks away from chasing pronghorn or those bugling beauties in the Rocky Mountains. So, um, But either way, hunting season is quickly approaching, and it's just an exciting time of year. Uh, Before I get into our podcast guest tonight, um, a couple things. First of all, we are on iTunes. We're We're on the Apple App Store an Apple podcast app, please, if you aren't listening to this, if you are listening to this podcast and aren't subscribed to Chasing Legends Outdoors podcast, please hit that subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you're loving the podcast. If you are already subscribed, uh, thank you very much for all your support over the past, we've been doing this five months now, and uh, i I really hope that you are loving the content we're bringing you, and the content will only get better from here on out. I promise you that. Switching gears now, if you haven't noticed over the past few episodes, there's been a lot of talk around the HuntWise app. We've had their CEO, Jeff Corder, on the podcast. We've had David Drogi, a field staff for HuntWise, on the podcast. We also recently had Jared Gordsma, the co-host of the Boga Hunting Podcast and huge advocate of the HuntWise app on the podcast. We've been talking a lot about it. If you are listening to this podcast and haven't checked it out, I highly, highly recommend it. I mean, there's a lot of great outdoor-related apps out there. But if you're a hunter and you're looking for a do-it-all app, check out HuntWise First of all, they have GPS software to tell you where you are and where your property boundaries are. And on top of that, you can also share locations, share properties with the people that you hunt with, uh, and join a hunting community um, that is just willing to help and also share their experiences. 
I feel like I know a lot of guys now that have completely gone off of social media and I'll just use HuntWise as their social media because all they want to do is look at pictures of uh, hunting and fishing and the outdoors. And that's really all HuntWise is, is it's that this community, the social media community of hunters um, that are all sharing and sharing their experiences and willing to help. Um, but on top of that, like I said, a great GPS software mapping tool. You can All your pins are available for all your scouting needs. Um, on top of that, you can buy gear on the app um, at a high discount. I mean, a very, a very generous discount. And uh, there is also a weather al algorithm that uh, will tell you where to hunt on certain nights. It gives you the weather. It gives you the wind. It really is a do-it-all app if you're an outdoorsman. And it is very cost-effective, and it just got even more cost-effective if you're a listener to this podcast. If you are a listener to this podcast, you can download the HuntWise Pro app today and put in the promo code CLO20. That is C as in chasing, L as in legends, O as in outdoors, 20CLO20 as your promo code, and you'll get 20% off of the HuntWise Pro app. And I'm telling you, it is worth every penny, penny if you are a hunter. So right now, go on your Apple, your go into your Apple store, type in HuntWise, download that app, put in CLO20 and get 20% off your purchase of the HuntWise app and start sharing your experiences and becoming a better hunter, more prepared hunter as you enter the woods this fall, this is a great deal. I'm telling you, 20% off. This is like a Black Friday thing for Christmas. 20% off this this app is a steal. So get on it. Hunt-wise, check it out. Now moving forward to tonight's guest. I'm really excited about this guy. If you are in Michigan you have been listening to this podcast, you have definitely, definitely heard of him. His name is Dan Johnson, and he is the host of of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, and he's also kind of, he's kind of a co-host. He's been on the Wired to Hunt podcast many, many times with Mark Kenyon, um, and I know if a lot of you guys out there from Michigan are listening to the Wired to Hunt podcast and have been for a long time, so you've probably heard a ton of Dan Johnson stories. He's very well educated when it comes to hunting whitetails, and he's, he's just a hilarious guy. Tonight, have him on the podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Dan's background. He's not only the co-host of the Nine Finger, I'm the the host of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, but he's also the CEO of Sportsman's Nation and the board of directors at Two Percent Conservation. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about a little bit about his uh, plans this fall and coming to Michigan. If you listen to the Nine Fingers podcast listen to wire hunt you know dan's coming from iowa to michigan we have to look it up dan might be the first guy to ever come from as an iowa resident from iowa to michigan to hunt whitetails but we're going to talk about his michigan plans this fall and how he's prepping for that and the meat meat and potatoes of it though we have dan johnson on to tell us and talk to us about trail cameras Trail cameras, trail cameras, trail cameras. It is almost August. You probably have a pretty good inventory of what's in your area. And Dan's going to talk all about the how to use trail cameras as the year goes on. So from early summer 
and how he uses them through the summer, into the fall, and into the rut. Um, and how, you know, trail camera locations change, how much he checks them, all that kind of stuff. We're going to get into trail camera 101 so you know how to use, use those things the most efficient way possible throughout the year to get a good idea how to kill your next big giant whitetail buck. So, really excited to have Dan on. I have nothing left to say, so let's get into it right now. Dan, how we doing, man? Doing good. Good, good. Thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, absolutely, man. How's uh, how the how the wife and kids out in Iowa these days? Well, we're uh, we are ready for this whole COVID thing to be over. Uh, I love my family to death, but uh, we are just packing our house all the time and it's almost like we need a break from each other. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I just listening to your podcast and lawyer to hunt over the years. I feel like you are so brutally honest about balancing (laughs) work and family. And all these guys out there are just like, would love to say what you say and don't have the the kahunas to say it. And you just throw it out there. (laughs) I, I tell you what, I've never been the type of guy who's really, held anything back that may be a lack of brain power or it could just be that I'm brutally honest but uh yeah I it's rough I mean I got three kids my oldest is seven my middle one is five and my youngest he's almost three he turns three in September and I I always joke about it but they're like, oh, what are you going to do when you get back home? And I say, well, I'm going to put the kids back in their cages, and I'm going to get some work done. So <laughs> I'll be honest. If cages were legal, I'd probably put my kids in cages. Oh, you crack me up. So i got to ask, your seven- and five-year-old, have they shown much interest in the outdoors? You know, my seven-year-old has. Uh, she's been out turkey hunting with me, and it kind of took me by surprise. Um we're at the truck and my headlamp batteries just aren't working they go dead so we had to walk to the turkey bump line in the pitch black dark and she did not have a problem with it and you know she was interested about turkeys and she showed uh, a lot of you know uh, curiosity towards hunting and uh, the outdoors and my my son not so much right now Uh, he's for some reason, he just doesn't like to get dirty. He doesn't. He likes to play outside, but he's not like my daughter. So, but that could change. We don't know. We'll uh, just continue to introduce it to him in small doses and see if it takes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot can a lot can happen. Only being a five year old, you know, you never yeah. you never know how how they're going to grow up. But um, yeah, all you can do is keep introducing to them and see. See if it's a passion or not. It's not a. That's right. Um, I think I might. I I, I don't have you beat because I don't have three kids. I'm engaged right now, but I I have a little bit of a doozy for you. My fiance okay. and I will rent out our house, um, just because we're we're paying off student debt and all that kind of fun stuff. But, um, we rent out our house to three roommates. So I live. Dan, I live with four women, all all between the ages of 25 and 30, and I think it's, um, I think it's illegal for me to lock them in cages, (laughs) so. (laughs) A lot of time in the 
<laughs> a lot of time stuck in the garage, stuck in the basement, mowing the lawn twice a week. Anything to get myself out of the house. <laughs> no, they're they're really they're good roommates. It's just uh, I think you uh, you have a little bit more chaos in my in your life than I do. But there are days like you know I I do my podcast in my basement and our shower because i live with four women is like constantly going (laughs) so if there's some background noise it's probably somebody taking a shower upstairs but um anyway so i'll give you some quick advice yeah you're you're getting ready to get married i am okay don't have three kids you know she's good enough she wants she wants three to four i'm hoping after if 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 lord willing we're able to have a couple I'm I'm banking on her having the same thought process as my mom is after the second one I'm done. <laughs> yeah. So, uh we'll we'll see where that takes us, but I will uh, I'll take that advice and uh try to apply it in the future. I um so Dan, I'm going to take a little uh, a lot of my listeners know who you are just from, you know, Nine Fingers Chronicles is a pretty popular podcast in the outdoor world now and you've been on uh, the Wire to Hunt which all my Michigan buddies have been listening to for years. Um, but I'm going to take a uh, page out of the Dan Johnson playbook. Where are you from and what do you do for a living? Well, I live in eastern Iowa. Um, I live in a, a town of like 900 people. My backyard is a bean field and uh, it's just that I, you know, Iowa farm country. Yep. And I run the Sportsman's Nation. I guess I'm the founder, the CEO, the janitor. You know, I'm, uh, I'm a one trick pony. Wear all the hats. Sportsman's Nation go round, and that is what I do. I podcast all day. I love it. I love it. So, um, with so how how many years ago did you kind of kickstart Sportsman's Nation? Yeah, I started the Sportsman's Nation November 1st, 2017. That was the day it officially launched. The website officially went up, and uh, the RSS feed with multiple podcasts started running. Love it. You uh, you definitely run an awesome podcast. I uh, I just actually listened today at the Michigan Ain't So Bad one. Um We'll, we'll we'll speak on that. Uh, Michigan is kind of bad, but we'll we'll uh, we'll get into that in a second. So you're also the board of directors of Two um, Percent for Conservation, correct? That's correct. What can you tell the listeners a little, just brief? Um, what is Two Percent for Conservation? What is their like ultimate goal? Right. So here's what I'll, I'll tell you about Two Percent for Conservation. Um, I knew that I wanted to be part of something uh, conservation-focused, right? My dad, when I, was, when I was younger, my dad would take me and my brother camping at all these awesome state, state parks around Iowa, and my dad would always tell me these stories about how it's just not the people who work for the state park or the state of Iowa who make this go around. It is volunteers and people who give up their time and their money to help make things like this happen, right? Correct. And years later, I run, uh, when 2% for Conservation started, their, their motto of, like, you give your time and you give some of your money. So not only do, you know, 
a lot of people they just think that if I donate this money, I'm going to be part of conservation. No. Right. Yeah. You have to walk the walk. Correct. Well. And that's what I love about two percent for conservation is. Yeah, you give some of your money, but you also walk the walk and you give some of your time by volunteering to help out whatever cause you want. It doesn't have to be hunting related. It, it can be about pollinators or uh, grass or plants. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of deer hunting and wildlife, so I give my time and energy to places like uh, QDMA and the uh, National Deer Alliance. Uh and other places. I picked up some trash here on this on the local uh, state ground with my kids, and that's how you generate uh, generate your time. And then the Sportsman's Nation actually is a two percent for certified business. So any money that I make, right off the top, I'm giving one percent of that to uh, some kind of conservation organization. Very cool. I love it. I love it. And what's cool about those organizations too, like. Um, backcountry hunters and anglers and two percent for conservation is you know you're bringing people together that are from way two way different wavelengths you have your your bird watchers and also the avid whitetail avid elk avid outdoorsmen um yes which you know when all those people come together to raise money or to have their voices be heard in the uh for the love of the outdoors it gains a lot of steam real quick. Um, yeah. And as you can see... it. you think about it, really, the only difference between someone who just loves to watch birds and a hunter is that, that we kill an animal. But we have the same amount of passion for not only the land that they live on, but the, the animal themselves. Absolutely. We're really not that different yeah. when it comes down to it. Um, yeah. And... Uh, I don't know if you uh, look if you've looked at social media in the last hour, but the Great Americans Outdoors Act just passed like an hour ago in the House. Yeah, just huge news, huge news. So, but we'll get into that. I'm sure we'll talk about we'll both talk about that in another podcast. But we want to um, before we get into the meat and potatoes and the the trail camera stuff that I brought, um, we were going to talk mostly about. You're coming to Michigan, so we got to talk about that a little bit. You, I, I, I was joking with you earlier, and I said we have to do some research, but you might be the first Iowa resident to be taking time off of work to come to Michigan to buy a Michigan tag and chase a Michigan whitetail. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll be straight up. I got peer pressured into it. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I mentioned it once that, hey, yeah, if I ever lose my job, I will come to Michigan and hunt. Or if I ever quit my job and I can do the Sportsman's Nation full-time, I'll come on Michigan. Well, I ended up getting laid off from my job. And I made that transition into uh, the Sportsman's Nation full-time. <laughs> and uh, and so instantly, everybody from around the country was like, ah, dude, you made a promise. Now you got to hunt Michigan. Well, that peer pressure led me to saying, okay, I'll do it. And, uh, this October at some point I'm gonna to head to Michigan and uh, do a little deer hunt. Dan, you got my respect. I think if we take if you take two things away from this podcast, that one, Dan Johnson is a brutally honest man and he's a man of his word. <laughs> so, um, so with with coming to Michigan, have you started to do some like e scouting and try to get an idea of which part of the state you want to hunt? Because you're only coming for like three or four days, correct? Right. Right. Yes, um, the best part about 
you know, having a decent social media following and, and doing all these podcasts is that I have a lot of people reach out to me. And I'll be honest, you know, I take all that information and people point me in the right direction. But uh, to answer your question, yes, I have been e-scouting a ton of public land throughout, I'm going to say, the southern half of Michigan. Okay. For places that uh, I might be able to connect with some deer on. Yeah. Um, just from my, I grew up here in southwest Michigan, born and raised, and um, if I give you my quick two cents, um, the southern half of the state has has better deer. We don't have the APRs, but we do have better deer, and it kind it it cuts down the drive time for you. Michigan's a pretty big state. You, I mean, there's a big yeah. difference. There's a four to five hour drive time difference between hunting the southern half and the northern half of the state, and um, yeah. there's just a lot more ag. You know, you're used to you're you're an Iowa guy. You're used to hunting a lot of a lot of ag, a lot of timber. Um, it's it's kind of got the same lay of the land as you got out there in Iowa and most part of southern yeah. Michigan. Um, as you get up north, it's a lot more swampy, which can lead to some good bucks. But it's just, um, you know, if you're going to go for three or four days and try to pattern like an earlier season deer, um, I think the southern half is definitely where you should be looking. So, Yeah, I, um, you know, I would love to hunt wherever. The, the best possible deer is, but I'm also looking for something a little bit different, to be honest with you. I think uh, it would be uh, it'd be awesome to hunt some of those marshes and wetlands that you guys have, and uh, there's a couple places I've been looking at that have, have that, right, like a river bottom, big marshy cattail type swamp uh, type of feel to it, and uh, some of the other places uh, that I've been scouting have also uh, been a description of what you just said that continuation of farm yeah um well i'm not gonna be i'm not gonna give away uh your location or make you give away what you're thinking but you know when we're off the record i'll uh, i'll give you some more tips and tricks <laughs> there's too many hunters in michigan to be talking about where to go <laughs> um but uh so well i uh i definitely wish you luck and um I, uh, you know, I would, I would love it if it would make my, it'd make a lot of people's ears. I think if you, uh, if you posted a picture of even a Michigan, like what, like a, what, like a two and a half year old, is that kind of your goal? Like a two or three year old? You know, I'm not going to set any expectations on myself. Um, yeah. I love to come there and shoot some three year old or four year old. Yes, absolutely. But to be honest with you, I would love to take some meat home as well. Absolutely. I don't, I'm that kind of guy who kind of lives by the motto, if it feels good, do it. I yep. think that if, if it's the last day of the hunt and a deer walks by me, I might be shooting it. Yeah, I don't blame you one bit. I've been on too many little Michigan excursions where I've been like, you just can't be picky here. You can't. And yeah. You know, you like, and I think you're doing it right by not going into it with any level of like um, um, expectation. Just because you know, yeah. you very well could have three or four great days. I mean, your podcast uh, title for that episode was "Michigan Ain't That Bad." It's not that bad. There's a lot of deer here. Um, your fight might just be with the other guys carrying their their bows out in the field. So, yeah, um, well, I'll tell you, it's uh, funny. Uh, you know, 
I often think about if I did connect with a giant, what would happen? And uh, I mentioned that on one of my other podcasts as well. They, uh, I got feedback through social that was saying, like, dude, if you kill a giant on your first trip here, I will fight you. I will fight you. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, they're, they're joking, but. Yeah. No, because there's guys that, you know, hunt religiously, you know, 90 sits a year in Michigan public flying around here. And they, you know, a two-year-old might be the, the buck that's on their wall. So I'm, I'm, might, Mark Kenyon might never have you on the podcast again, but we'll see. <laughs> oh, well, uh, definitely wish you luck on that. And we'll, uh, we'll transition the conversation. Absolutely. We'll transition the conversation into, into trail cameras. I've listened to a lot of your podcasts and you, you rely pretty heavily on them. Um, for whether it's in uh, a lot of Intel summer inventory. And I wanted to get you on the podcast to talk about kind of how the, how you work your trail cameras. Let's just say, I don't know when you take them down. I know you leave some up for quite a long time, but let's just say June through January, how are you running those and what changes over the course of the year? Um, to give you the intel to kill those big Iowa bucks, because we all know you can get excited about a summer inventory, but deer, specifically mature bucks, can change their home range from in September, October, you know, overnight. So, how are you? How are you using trail cameras? First, we'll just start in the summer. We'll start. I know it's August now. It's almost August now, but this could be something that somebody goes back to and listens to next year. Um, Let's start with June and kind of work our way through the year. Right. So in Iowa, it is legal to put out mineral. Okay. So currently, I have four mineral uh, stations out. And on the top of those mineral stations, I have trail cameras. Now, these mineral stations can't be anywhere close to where I hunt, so i got to be careful where I put them. Right? They can't be, there can't be a tree stand even close to them, and... So technically, it can't even be on a trail leading to a mineral station. So um, I can't put a tree stand technically anywhere close to one of these mineral stations. This is like an Iowa law? Yeah, this is – so like now that, those mineral stations just don't go away. Like yeah. They're there for the whole year. Correct. I just can't hunt anywhere near them. So technically, because so, – yeah. Yeah, so I, I, what I do is I kind of put them out in the middle of these fields, right? In the middle of these ag fields or on a fence row somewhere that doesn't technically get, you know, doesn't, doesn't get a lot of deer movement throughout the year other than when the deer are coming to the mineral stations. And to be honest with you, I'm not looking to, that mineral station isn't there to make the deer grow big antlers. It's not necessarily there for them to get some kind of health boost my only goal the only thing i kind of care about is getting pictures of deer that's yep. it right and that's a way to do it it's just congregate deer in one location and and hopefully my trail cameras take a shit ton of pictures so that's pretty much just to collect inventory of what you got in your area yep yep, yep. absolutely just a straight inventory and i i check it let's see i checked it uh, one time this year already so i've had one trail camera check since June, roughly, I think it was the last week in May I set them up this year. All through June into July, checked them, and I probably won't check them again until halfway through August or even into the first part of September. 
Gotcha. And at, at that point, I, the second time I check them, I take them down. And I then I uh, deploy them into the woods where I get the natural deer movement, pinch points, fence crossings, uh, some bedding areas, uh, funnels, you know, all the, the traditional good places to... Uh, that deer, that deer move. Yeah. And uh, I'll let them soak there all through September. And I doubt I even check them into October until I start my rut vacation. And the day or two before I really start hunting the farms real hard, I will go through and check all the trail cameras, throw them in a computer, go through all of them, find out where the, the mature bucks or the you know the shooters are moving. And that's where I kick everything off at. Okay. So summer collecting inventory. And then it's like, all right, once September hits, I got I got a very good idea of what my inventory or a couple target bucks. Now I'm going to move them. Now I know my inventory, so I don't care if I get pictures of these deer again. Now I'm going to move them to specific areas where I, this is where I want to see them. I don't, I no longer want to yeah. see them over this mineral. I want to, I, I want to see them in these areas that they should be moving in. So I'm going to move them here. And then depending on the Intel you get from those cameras is where you're going to hunt, um, come your rut vacation in early November. Yeah. Now I'm not the first guy to ever come up with this theory, but I use it a lot and it's, you cast a wide net early season. You got all these trail cameras out. And then you find out where these bigger deer, your target deer, are living and moving more often. And then I bring more trail cameras in. I may take them down in places that are dead and move those trail cameras into a, a tighter circle. And then what I do from that point on is really focus on checking those trail cameras, not as often as I can, but every time I come in or every time I go out, uh, I'm checking trail cameras to see where these deer are moving and refining my setups off of that trail camera information. Okay, so you're actually using more cameras come October, November than you are currently. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so right now there's only four out. Uh, by the time, I'm going to say I think I have like 15 trail cameras that I that I use throughout all the all my farms. Yep. That okay. I have access to. Okay. Now, when you go check them. Do you play the wind, or do you just say, all right, I got two hours away from the wife and kids. I'm going to pull these cards. Yeah, so most of them, if it's during the season, I'm not checking them really unless I'm hunting that area. Yeah. Okay? Yep. Um, until November, and then in November I'm checking them a lot more often. And in November is when I can dedicate like a week or two straight weeks of hunting, right? Last yep. year I hunted... I hunted seven days, went home for a day, hunted another six days. And so in that period of time, I'm checking trail cameras regularly. Okay. And trying to trying to find out where these deer are moving. I'm constantly moving those trail cameras to try to find uh, places where these deer are crossing. Uh, crossing roads, crossing creeks, jumping fences, um, funneling down. And a lot of it has to do with historical data as well. Right. So yep. if I've had really good luck throughout the years on a specific fence crossing, well, I know October 1st or when I make that initial move off of some mineral sites and I go and deploy most of the trail cameras, 
I'm putting one there and there it stays the entire year. Yeah. Because it's a, just a, a great drive a quarter quarter for deer. Now, have you ever run into the situation where maybe your summer intel told you, like, um, like you collect your summer inventory and there's not what you want to see. There's not a mature buck. Will you still put a trail camera on that property in November if there is a history of a good buck using this area, a certain bedding area yeah. or a pinch point? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, typically what happens is during the summer months, I get a ton of mature deer on the farm. It is an awesome summering range for a, a ton of great bucks. This year's a little different. So far I've only had one, but I've only checked the trail camera uh, one time. Okay. What happens is summer, I just have a ton of great pictures, but I've learned not to get my hopes up because when the velvet starts to come off, in late August, early September, the bachelor groups break up. I witness a huge shift on the farm. Everything goes nocturnal. Everything spreads out, and there is not a lot of mature buck movement on, the, on my farm. Okay. Now, what happens is, as the month of October starts to creep along, bucks start to pop up during, you know, nocturnal. Yeah. And they may make some laps through the farm. Or, you know, I got them coming to a food source at night or, or whatever. But it's all nocturnal. And then somewhere around the 27th of October is when I start getting my first daylight pictures of mature bucks on the farm. And then from there, it just kind of, you know, it, it has its hot days. It has its cold days or, or, you know, three days in a row of nothing. And then three days of a mature buck cruising the farm and, and uh, you know, hit those bedding areas and, and uh, just continuously relying on that information to tell me where I need to hunt. Absolutely. Now, is that have you seen that pretty much on an annual basis of these bucks just ditching your farm for that month from like mid September to later in October? Yes. Yeah. The, the short answer is yes. The long answer is there are some decent bucks that call this farm home, right? Yep. But for some reason, it's just the top dog, the top three deer just never really bet on it. They never really live on it. And what happens is they come in in that late October time frame and they just kick everything else out and they call it home and they rule the roost. And then that's when um, I get trail camera pictures of them. That's when I have the encounters with them. That's when I start seeing them. And uh, that's when I kill most of my deer. It's the first two weeks of November. That's uh, so. Because of that, you really don't even hunt those that farm the first couple weeks of October, do you? Yeah, uh, you know I would if I had the time and I didn't have three kids and a wife. Yeah. Like back in the day, man, I was hunting. I was hunting all through October. I mean, October first hit, I'm hunting. Exactly. But, you know, now what we have here is the scenario where I can't hunt, and it's actually better for me. I get, you know, I got responsibilities, and what I've learned is that those responsibilities are actually keeping me from hunting, which in turn is keeping the pressure down on the farm. Yeah, yeah. And so when I go into my first sits, come that late October, early November time frame, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing some real good deer movement right off the gate because they're on pressure the whole month of October. Yeah, that's huge. Now, when 
you say, do you always wait to your location to hunt or like, are you, when you see that first good, that first mature target buck, 10 30 AM on a trail camera, are you like in the woods the next day or do you have, or do you like specifically wait for these, you know, two weeks that you have that you kind of just say goodbye to the wife and kids? Yeah, that's a good question because let's say I, I get some time and it's October 8th and I run down to the farm, check some trail cameras real quick, and a big boy is in daylight on that farm. I'm making a move. Yeah. Right? I'm making a move. I don't care what the date is. If he's daylight, I got to I gotta make some kind of move. At least if I have a good idea of where he's at. But if I get like a trail camera picture of him at 1 in the morning, that doesn't mean much because no. you can't hunt anywhere close to where that deer's moving. Yeah, exactly. Um, now, when you're checking cam, I'm glad you brought that up real quick. When you're checking cameras, you are you doing a little bit like of research? Let's say it is you're starting to get those those late October pictures. Are you looking at all right the time, the day, and then going into like a you know a weather app and seeing okay why was he moving that day? Are you looking that Absolutely. in depth? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Wind direction has everything to do with it. Uh, where are these deer are moving, how they're moving. Um, and then I check to see, okay, was there a, a front that moved through? Was there rain that did it, did it you know, was there any precipitation? Or precipitation? Uh, that has a lot to do with deer movement, especially in the month of October, right? So yep. if I if I didn't go back and check that, if I never, if I got a show camera picture on a, let's just say he was moving on a north wind, and I come back in there and hunt that stand or, or try to force myself in there on a south wind and don't see him, well, shit, there's a good chance he just, he knew I was coming. Yep, exactly. So, you know, I, I try to play my cards right, or if I know he's in there, I try to work an access route that is completely different from what I would do on a north wind, so I may have to loop all the way around and come in at a, at a different angle, or uh, I'm a believer that you can access a deer in any wind direction if yeah you if you're willing in any wind direction if there is the right if you have the right access yeah and if you're willing to walk like walk an extra you know even if it takes an extra Whatever. two miles just uh yeah. yeah yeah so you that's good to know so you are looking at all that and then do you look at maybe like other like specifics like what was the pressure that day and or like, you know, you might have a, a time frame where you get three pictures of three different bucks in the same day, and then um, the next day is the same wind, same temp, same everything, and you're not getting any pictures. Is that you're still learning from that? You're like, okay, maybe they're making more than a one day loop. Um, yeah. So, are you do you do you document all this, or is this just stored in the brain of Dan Johnson? Well, some of it's stored in. I use, uh, every once in a while, I use an app called Deer Lab, uh, and it, you can throw your trail camera pictures in there, and it calculates uh, all of the wind directions. And uh, if, you put, if, you use, if you use the app right, or the, the software right, you can, you can get all the pictures of a specific deer in there. You can map them, and then find out what wind direction that specific buck likes to use um, the most on that farm. Okay. So if let's just say uh, a buck I call uh, Big Boy, let's just say Big Boy yep. is uh, cruising the farm, uh, I put all that information into that software 
and what that it pulls the date and it pulls the time and it pulls the location. And what that does is then it, it calculates it, runs it through its little an, analog or whatever it does, and it says, okay, well, Big Boy likes to travel on a south southeast wind uh, uh, in the morning. Oh, most of the time. Wow. So then, then I'm just like, next time there's a southeast wind, man, I know exactly what tree I need to be in. I know exactly where I need to be. Um, so a little bit of that, and then just a little bit of historical data, looking at dates and times and, and wind direction. And I tell you what, I am I am on my on the weather apps during October and November all the time. Yep. Like all I do is analyze wind directions and uh, seeing when the next uh, rainstorm or snowstorm's coming through. It's uh, it's a bit obsessive. No, yeah, that's you kind of have to be, and it kind of shows that it's tried and true for you. You've been very successful on the, your past few rutcations. Um, now, moving past that that rutcation. Oh, one last question: This Deer Lab app does it take? Can you store pictures in there that are one, two, three years old, and look at oh, historical yeah. data that way? Okay. Yeah. So what you're essentially doing is you're trending a deer, you're yep. following it, and you're you're documenting all its moves to the point where, hopefully, I'll give you a, an example. Um, there is a there was a buck who never really made my target list, but I just was curious about his movements throughout the farm, and so I put all that information into Deer Lab, and come to find out, he's coming through. He's coming through October sixteenth, seventeenth, eighteenth, or nineteenth. Every year for the past three years through this one specific pinch point. And there's times where he comes through multiple times. Uh, he's just a junk rack, like a five-year-old or something like that. You okay. Know, just a, a good, de- a big-bodied deer, but nothing really in the rack department. Most of it, most of his movement is uh, nocturnal. But the, the whole thing is taking annual patterns into consideration and using that information to make a move. Uh, on a deer and basically what you're doing is you're just forecasting his movement yeah that's on that's that's incredible that's isn't it it's truly incredible that the same buck for four straight years has made the same route in the same few days every year so if he blew up as a six-year-old you'd kill him because you know exactly where to go and what days or try to kill yeah yeah find some place where he's coming in like i said most of his movement is nocturnal but he does come through sometimes and it, most of it is like late morning. So wow. get into the tree stand, and he comes. He comes through like nine thirty or ten thirty every year at, at those dates. So wow. even up till eleven o'clock in the morning. So Deer Lab listeners, ch- check it out because that I mean, talk about intel. It's so pretty, it's, yeah, it's pretty cool. That's slick. Um, so moving past your rutcation, you've been successful on your past few rutcations, but let's say you are you still running cams through the end of November and into late season? Yeah, so what I typically do, now I've had some problems with theft uh, the past four years. Oh, right? geez. So the past four years, five years, or something like that, I've had seven trail cameras and one tree stand stolen in that amount of time. Goodness. So, and most of it's on one part of the farm. So what I do is, it sucks, but uh, if, it, if they're not cable locked to a tree, they're coming down with me, and I try to get them out before shotgun season when more people hit the wood. Yep. But 
the, the places where I can leave trail cameras up and running. And I, I try to keep them up as long as I can up to, you know, the season's over. And then what I, what I do is I just use that information for next year. Absolutely. Right? Yep. And, and basically just look and say, well, Hey, look at what this buck did or look at what this buck did or, or follow deer and, and do all this, you know, do all the, the, the things that, you know, everybody else does and just try to document it, find what these deer are doing. And I'll tell you, I, I never used to do that. I never used to use, uh, that kind of method into my trail camera. As soon as I shot a deer, season was over yep but one year for some reason i shot my buck and then i had to go home real fast so i left all my trail cameras up and i couldn't come until like the second week of uh december before the shotgun season started and what i found was that my farm becomes hot and i mean really hot the third week of november like that 18th, 19th, 20, up until December, just way more mature bucks moving to the farm. Wow. So what that what that's done is it has allowed me to alter my vacation now to, like, I don't typically, if, if it lands on a weekend, maybe, but I typically am not even hunting. And a lot of it depends on how the week weighs. Yeah. But I don't even like to hunt the first four or five days in November anymore even because I know that all the good, the best deer and deer movement is going to come closer to that, that I guess, traditional peak run of November 14th. Right? Yeah. And like yeah. the first five days before that, the, the second five days after that, that's when my farm, that's when the does really start to pop on my farm so, that I hunt. So the patient pa- patience pays off and you're, you're more hunting the, you know, the 6th or 7th through to the November until like the 21st, 22nd is your right. kind of, ru- okay. Now, with that said, the crazy part is I got a buddy who is like three miles or he hunts three miles down the road and his farm explodes the first three or four days of November, even the last, like all the big dogs start showing up the last two days of October, Halloween and then the next five days are on fire for him. Wow. And then after that, it, it dies down. So a lot of it has to do, you know, obviously everybody knows this, but uh, when the does in that area or your area come in heat. Yeah. Yeah. And it just goes to show how much different those does can be from one property to the next. I mean, you're talking a stone's throw away. They're going into heat a week, two weeks earlier than the majority of the does down the road. Um, yeah. It just shows that Intel is everything, you know, like, yeah. Trail camera intel will tell you when, like for the most part, will usually tell you when those does are, um, when the majority of the does are in heat in your area. Uh, so do you, do you keep cameras up through January to see like what bucks survived or are you pretty much usually tearing them down, you know, end of December and then putting them back up early summer? Yeah, it just depends. I got some technically, uh, I shouldn't say technically, but traditionally, shotgun season, the shotgun hunters come through the farm, and it's over. Yeah, yeah. The deer, the deer split, and they, te- they typically don't come back until the spring. Gotcha. So it's, it's hard to tell because, you know, there's, you know, you could have 
have a hundred trail cameras out, but it takes uh, one deer to walk behind a trail camera. Yeah, uh, no, I get that. I don't even have a clue, you know, clue that he's there, but for the most part, shotgun season, you know, that guy's driving the farm every day no, for like five straight days, and it's, it's and it over. shuts off and yeah. he's dead. Nothing, nothing happens after that. Like, late season on the farms that I hunt are, are never good. Well, I was looking at your Instagram story earlier this spring, and they must have came back somewhat early in the winter because you had like six drop sheds in one freaking field. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that's a different farm. That's a that's actually a farm I'm pretty excited to put some work into this year. It's actually closer to where I live, and it's one of those farms where, you know, if I get the afternoon off, it's close to home. Uh, I'm gonna go and, and yeah. hunt it, but I. Uh, trail cameras that I have put up there never showed anything like I would want to put my tag on. Uh, you know, I'd rather drive down to my southern farm. But uh, this one up here, man, it's it kind of surprised me. Yeah, uh, no kidding. I mean, walk in. Walk in. So uh, I, I don't have any trail cameras up on that farm yet, but uh, this week, uh, before this weekend, I should have two or three up what's up there nice it's always it's always nice to find a honey hole close to home especially as life gets busy so yeah. um yeah well looking forward to following you and seeing if you can uh you can tag one on that farm this year but um hey uh appreciate your time tonight dan before i let you go um i do one thing that we always do in this podcast is tell a hunting story and um you're a very good storyteller so i'm gonna put you on the spot here and say hey, can we get a can we get a story out of you? It, it, if it, uh, if you have something that, you know, is like kind of relates to the, the trail cam Intel, that'd be great. But if not, you feel the need to, um, tell another story, go right ahead, man. But we always like to cap it off with a hunting story. Yeah, man. Um, you know, I wish I had a really cool, a really cool story. Um, tell you about trail cameras but it, it's it's pretty you know it's pretty boring yeah I, I, I don't have anything that's like oh man i walked by and then a booner walked by <laughs> and then you know i had the encounter with the booner uh but you know I, i'm trying to think of a story that's worth telling right now that kind of uh well, listen to your. No, I was saying listen to your stories in the past. I feel like yeah, it's may, maybe not the most exciting part is the trail cam part, but like that buck you killed last year. I mean, you had photos of them. The the buck like trail cameras are definitely helping you find and kill these big deer, um, yeah. and let you know who they last are. But go ahead. Last year's deer, I shot, and then I checked trail cameras and found out that he was there. I didn't make a move. On that that specific deer, I was making a move on another deer, but he just happened to show up, and I had an itchy trigger finger. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, but, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I'm trying to think of, of what, what year it was. It was. This is just an example of what the trail, how I use trail cameras. I think it was 2006. It was 2016. Okay. And I had just started my rep vacation. First thing I do is I get to the farm, pull all my trail camera cards, go back to the house, and start checking trail cameras. And there, uh, one of the cards pulled up a four-year-old, probably you know, 130, 130 inch, 10, four-year-old, 
huge net working this fence line right at last light and right at first light. Okay. I mean, he was he was there like clockwork for three days in a row. He disappeared and then he came back. So I said to myself, "This is why I have trail cameras. It's time to make a move." Yep. So I go there on the first the first night. I set up a couple does, small bucks come by. Not that, not this, not the shooter that I'm after. Rainstorm comes through all morning. So I stayed in. I didn't go out and hunt because it was, it was raining pretty hard. And, uh, I, I was thinking about even not hunting the evening because it was getting to like four o'clock in the afternoon. It was still raining. Pretty oh, wow. Hard, but it started to clear up. I said, okay. And so I put my stand on my back, went to this area with this fence row. It's like a little a pocket of trees where this, uh, buck was, running a scrape line and I stand up and it's starting to get a little dark now, but the rain just quit. And I said to myself, you know, if I was a, if I was a buck and it rained almost 16 hours straight, I'm going to get up and I'm going to start making some stuff. Yeah. I'm going to get on my feet. Yep. Yeah. I'm going to get on my feet. And so I said to myself, dude, I'm going to, these horns together i'm gonna rattle i'm gonna see what happens because it, it it stopped raining and it was dead quiet like dead quiet yeah and i cr- i cracked them and you could probably have heard them in the next county when i, when I rattle i like to rattle i love it and, and uh i look into this this grassy marsh that a finger kind of runs into it's not it's not like a, a traditional market uh, marsh it's got like a pond in it for cattle but I crack the horse together, and guess what stands up out of his bed on the finger of that uh, of that little finger of trees running into this CRP? Yeah, Mr. Ten, Mr. Ten area. It's that ten pointer, and he starts walking down this trail right to me. So how close and, was he bedded to you? Uh, he was probably about eighty yards out. Wow. I set up. Wow. Yeah. So. Uh, Maybe a little bit more, but I noticed him standing up. Like that's how close he was. He yeah. He out of his bed and he turned and looked at me. And he was going to walk out into the field, which I didn't. I I, te- I typically don't like to hunt field edges, but he was coming down this trail, going to go right to this field edge. And if he made it to the field edge, I, I would have never had a shot because I hunt off the field edge a little ways. Okay. So he's about halfway down the trail, and right before he's about to jump this old fence. I give him one, one, or that's it. And he turns and looks in my direction. He makes a 90-degree turn, and he starts walking right towards me. Oh. And uh, it just worked out perfect. I shot him at about 20, 20 yards, 15 yards, 20 yards, something like that. Buried him, dropped him right where he stood. I spined him, and uh, he dropped straight down. Put another arrow in him, and it was over. Over, wow! And, uh, and uh, my first, my first calls to my wife. My second calls to my stepdad, and uh, I guess that's the story of how trail cameras really helped me be successful on a buck. And I try to emulate that stories or stories like that every year. Yeah, uh, if you check your trail cameras right, you're on the right cycle. It can it can be that easy. Yeah, because you don't. I mean, you don't check those cams. You don't kill that buck. And you don't go, you you probably don't even go hunting that night after all the, the, 
the shit show during the day, you probably don't even go hunting that night if you have no intel in that area. Like, it's raining all day long. It's like, well, he's been here. It's going to clear up for one hour. I'm going to give it a shot. Where, you know, you could have you could have been in how in the inside or the other end of the farm, and you ended up in. The, my guess is the rain really helped you that day because on a on a quiet, cold morning or evening, you're probably not getting within eighty yards of them. So yeah, um, yeah. Wow, that's uh. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you this, man. Uh, I am a huge fan of hunting the complete sense i mean it sometimes is you know it's it's tough to to will yourself to go out when it's that crappy out but if you can see in the forecast that it's going to clear up for an hour or two and that buck whose testosterone is through the roof has been laying low for 16 hours like he hasn't he has no option but to get on his feet you know yeah so that uh i love it that's uh that's great advice it kind of reminds me I went same year, 2016. We were I was with a buddy in Southern Ohio, and the first day of our trip, we didn't. It was only a four day trip, and we didn't get to hunt because it rained all day. You know, sun up to sundown. Well, we just were we were kind of like giddy about it because we're like, you know, that sucks. We're 25 percent of our hunt is is ruined because of this weather, but if it clears up tomorrow morning, it's going to be epic. And we both killed bucks the first morning of that trip. It just goes to show those, as soon as that rain stops, those bucks have no choice when their testosterone is that high, but to get on their feet, whether it's during daylight or nighttime. So um, I love it. I love it. Well, Hey, Dan, very much appreciate you uh, joining tonight and giving your trail cam one Oh one. Um, I uh, it's, I I get um. Do you not run cell cams right now? I don't. I don't personally run them. So I'm just. I was just curious. Yeah, I do have a couple. Oh, you and, do. Nice. Uh, yep, yeah, I have. I have two right as of right now. Um, you know, they've never worked in the perfect scenario for me yet. Have I gotten big deer on camera? Yeah. Most of it. Most of it has been nocturnal, but um, I have a lot of river bottom ground. So, a, a lot of the places that I hunt, I don't even get reception to my cell phone. Ah, oh, gotcha. So, yeah. A cell cam doesn't really do me good there. So, what I like to really use a cell cam for is putting up on the field edges yep. or scrapes or something like that to say, okay, this buck is here in the middle of the night. That means he's not here and not here, so I can make a move on him. Yes. Yes. I, I like that. I've, I don't, I haven't made the transition yet. Um, 
uh, I got a wedding to pay for next year. <laughs> so I, uh, um, but I've been fielding a lot of questions on them and I have a lot of buddies that are making the transition. I just wanted to get your intake on that, but, uh, um, that's good to know. So I, uh, but Hey, I'll, uh, I'll let you get back to the wife and kids, man, but very much appreciate you hopping on tonight and give us a, giving us some Intel and, uh, we, uh, we wish you nothing but luck in your yeah. Michigan adventure. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Good luck to you this fall as well. Thanks, man. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Dan. That was Dan Johnson giving his trail camera 101 schooling. Um, I know he uses, like he just said, he uses them to kill big bucks every year. And I know he lives in Iowa, but I really think any you can apply those basic principles anywhere around the country um, and have success and getting some intel on uh on the big mature whitetails you're chasing this fall uh i know i learned a lot i uh um it's it's what i found really interesting about that conversation was the how he casts a wide net with just a few cameras in the summer and then really narrows it down once you get into october november with a lot more cameras i think that's something that we could um all benefit from especially here in Michigan where you might have to cast eight to 10 cameras and these pinch points and um, these different areas where a lot of deer move just to catch that one shooter. We don't, you know, he, he might have three or four different shooters on camera that he's chasing, but sometimes where we hunt in Michigan, we might have one three-year-old using that area and we got to use as much intel as we possibly can to make it happen on that buck. Uh, but I hope you guys enjoyed tonight's podcast again. If you're subscribed, thank you very much. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Chasing Legends Outdoors. Hope you're uh, getting all prepared for whitetail season. Staying safe, staying healthy, stay wild, hunt hard. Have a good night.